we're going to talk about how uh, the Lord uh, can use uh, uh, us growing in trust in, in difficult uh, places, how the Lord wants to teach us a relationship of trust uh, with him in those places uh, that are difficult, uh, how the Lord not only wants to teach us how to trust him in places that are difficult, but how the Lord wants to teach us how to trust him in his purpose for us. Uh, let me tell you a little bit of story about me. You can get a little picture of my entry into ministry. It'll save me telling the same story 20 times as you ask the question, how did you get into ministry? Uh, how did it happen? I was studying at school, and when I was studying at school, I scored really well, and so I wanted the course that was going to earn me at university, the course that would earn me the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time. So the least amount of study for the most reward. And you can probably guess that I didn't go straight into ministry from school. And so what I did is, it was in the middle of an IT boom, and so what I did is I enrolled into an IT course that was two years worth of course study and one year worth of work, and I came out uh, at a really good rate of pay. And when I stepped into the organization that I stepped into, uh, they had a good trajectory of growth, and I had some ideas around what my future would look like. Three, four years uh, down the track, I got offered what was my dream job when I started. Uh, it was a two-month training commitment, so if you've heard of uh, Black Belt, Six Sigma, Jack Welch, uh, that was what I was wanting to head into. You can look it up or ask me more later if you're interested. And I got offered a position. And my heart went, huh. And so I was talking to God and going, well, what's going on here? I thought this is where I was meant to be. I thought this is what I was meant to be doing. It was a two-year commitment, and I couldn't commit to it. And so I, I talked with God. I wasn't really talking with anyone else. I probably should have. But uh, I talked with God about it. And, and I was sort of saying, look, Lord, I've got this money saved up. Should I be buying a house? Uh, I've got this holiday planned. And then as part of this holiday that pl I planned, I, I was going over to Southeast Asia, going to Nepal. And part of it, I thought, look, I'll do the good Christian thing. I'm going to go and build a house in Cambodia. <laughs> so I can feel good about my, my travel. And for some reason, I, and God must have planted this thought in my head, I thought, if this falls through, I'll actually look at doing some real short-term mission and maybe spend six months. So anyway, one Saturday morning, I get this call, and the person says, uh, we can't actually sponsor you, we can't insure you to work in Cambodia, is there someone else you'd like to go? Immediately, it flashed back to my head. That's right, I promised I'd look into some real short-term mission. And so I started looking into six-month sort of missions. And when you work in an office at a desk job, anything's exciting compared to being stuck behind the desk in the office. And so I looked into that. It was all really exciting compared to working in an office. And then the next day at church, uh, I can't remember who preached, a guest preacher came up and, and it was a missionary and the missionary can't even remember what they spoke about but afterwards my minister came up and he said I feel like someone's been called to full-time ministry and now's the time and it, it was like a bullet shot straight at me or an arrow straight in my heart 
the reaction wasn't fear and trepidation. It was, it was joy. I knew in that moment the Spirit was speaking to me, I'm calling you into full-time ministry. Now, I, I still went overseas, made sure this wasn't a sort of a spur-of-the-moment thing, spent uh, three, four months discerning it, and then started Ridley, middle of 2006. Uh, when I started at Ridley, I was able to use the money the, that I was saving up to finish full-time work, work for free in the church that I was a part of. So I was in Christchurch in Hawthorne at the time, and I was able to study full-time. And so God showed me a way to some of those questions that I've been asking. Six months in, I decided money goes out the door really quickly when you're not bringing it in. <laughs> Uh, I kind of, and so being a little impetuous, I said to God, look, I'll give you 12 months. At the end of 12 months, I kind of need to go back and work. Otherwise, my bank balance is going to get a little bit low. Still would have been fine. But uh, so in that 12 months, I did what's called the Anglican uh, Year of Discernment. It's affectionately known as the, the Year of Discouragement. And so... <laughs> Because what they do in it is they, they wheel out all the, the people that have had some pretty average experiences of ministry and they tell you their story and their wife comes out and they tell you the story and they go, it was really costly for us doing ministry. And if at the end you, you're still interested in serving God in this way, then, well, you've passed the year of discernment. Uh, in that year, there was a selection conference. And, and so at that time, there was... Once a year, they would have a selection conference. I didn't get an invite. And no one wants to turn up to a job that you don't know you want. <laughs> There's nothing worse than trying to say, yes, maybe, not sure. And so I was thankful I didn't get an invite because I didn't yet have a, a strong sense of calling that full-time ministry, which is really broad, looks like me leading in a church. And so that passed, maybe a month passed since then, and... A guy called Gerald Bray came out from the UK, and he's a, he's a scholar, uh, an Anglican leader, and he talked about the ongoing need for Anglican ordination, and he painted a picture of the kind of person that the church needed for today. And as he painted that picture, it was like he was describing the passions of my heart and the priorities that I have for ministry, and in that moment, it was like the Spirit echoed in my heart, this is you. And so finally I had a yes in my heart. This is who God's called to me, uh, me to be, and this is what God's called me to be doing. A week later in the mail I got a letter from the, the bishop saying, we'd actually like to fast track you into the selection conference because the spot's opened up because someone's dropped out. And from there, kind of the rest is history. But it's also not just history. You, you, you see, when you walk with God, and you take steps of faith towards his purpose for you, there's, there's ups and downs. There's times where you know clearly what you're meant to be doing and where you're meant to be at, and you have a strong sense and confidence in that. And then there's times where it's more difficult. Last year was a difficult time where I knew God had a plan, I was confident in it, but I spent, you know, six to nine months not knowing what it was. <laughs> And in, in those moments, uh, we learn what it looks like to trust God. Uh, in this passage, uh, we've heard uh, from 
Matthew 4. If you want, you can open up to Matthew 4 in your Bibles. And we've heard about Jesus and how he responded to temptation. Often, uh, when we hear about the subject of temptation, we're, we're told, you need to resist temptation, you need to resist the devil. And resist, resist, resist is what we're told. Do not do that. Do not do this. Don't give in to the temptation. Don't give in to the temptation to, to gossip, to lust, to be greedy, to seek power. Don't give in to that temptation. But actually, I think when you look at this passage, it's an issue of trust. Do I trust in the goodness of God's purpose and provision for me in the circumstances I'm in? Jesus had just been uh, baptized by John and it... <laughs> And it's just said in verse 17 of chapter 3, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Flick forward what might have been a little bit more time than one verse. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was literally, it says, thrown into the wilderness. He was thrust into a place of deep temptation. And now, when I've thought about temptation and I've thought about the, the challenge of uh, living a life of faithfulness to God, I've never fully understood how Jesus can identify with us in our temptations. But yet it says in Scripture, Jesus was tempted in every way as we were and yet was without sin. Jesus here, as he was led into the desert, was tempted in ways that cut to the core of his purpose and offered him shortcuts to get there. Uh, the, The tempter comes and says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the Son of God. See how the enemy questions his his identity. This is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. If you're the son of God, this is what God the Father said about you, but do you trust what God has said about you? Do you trust how he sees you? Or are you going to test him by asking him for something that you know that he will give you, that he will give you bread? But he responds. He responds with Scripture. You see, the the enemy comes at us often when we're tempted with a half-truth or a little bit of truth. God's provision was clear for Jesus, and we see even the provision of angels at the end. But he comes with a a half-truth of, well, do like Moses did. (laughs) And then he responds with a word of truth it's written one does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god in in the temptation in the desert he, he was learning a, a key truth he, he was learning what it looked like to live perfectly in a place of trust as he stepped in, into the the ministry years he was stepping into a place of living out perfectly that trust relationship with God. He, he had an opportunity to make a decision every day. Do I trust my Father in heaven? Do I trust him enough to be obedient to him as I fast and pray in preparation for the beginning of my ministry? Jesus is challenged to trust. 
The, the devil then, in verse 5, uh, takes him up to the holy city, places him on the pinnacle of the temple, and, and shows him everything. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so you will not dash your foot against a stone. It's, it's interesting how the enemy was, took him up to a high place and challenged him to test the power of God. Now, we go at one level, well, that's simple for Jesus. He, he is God. He's perfectly connected to the Father. Of course he could just do that, and of course he would trust in that circumstance. Uh, but he was real, divine, and yet human. And so the, the temptation to test the faithfulness of God was presented before him. It's, it's interesting, that this thought, this verse came to mind as, as I've stood on the top of a mountain on the edge of a cliff. As you're captured by the wonder and the awe and the beauty of the world around you, that verse, if, you, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command His angels. You look at the birds and, and you look at the eagles and, and the freedom with which they fly. And then you look down at the ground and... I imagine Jesus was tempted to enjoy the goodness of God at some level. Uh, but but he, he resisted and he said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil takes him to a high mountain and he shows them all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he says to them, all this I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it's written, Worship the Lord God and serve him only. Well, what was Satan tempting him with in this position? He was tempting him. He was offering him all that he was due to inherit, but he was offering him that now. The cost, the cost was give your authority to me and I will give you this. Did Jesus trust the, the greater vision of God to, to work through the place of the cross or could he shortcut it now I, we don't understand the heart of our savior in, in exactly what went on and the thoughts that exactly went on and we can't presume what those thoughts exactly were but we can know that for jesus this was a real temptation to shortcut the path of the cross the path of death which had been predestined since the beginning of the world challenged by trust and he knew what it meant to trust the Lord in the face of temptation, to trust the Lord's way rather than trusting a way presented before him. If you look at the Bible, actually, in general, from the beginning, it's a challenge of trust. And the enemy tries to do similar things to us each time in these tests of trust. From the beginning with Adam and Eve, it's, do you trust the Lord that in all the trees he's given you, that's enough. And you don't need to eat from the one tree. And when we don't trust the Lord, what we actually do is what Jesus refused to do. We give over authority to the enemy. And the enemy has no authority that we don't actually give him. And so Adam in the garden gave over authority. But Jesus on the cross took back authority from him. 
And so for those who are in Jesus, uh, we're continually challenged by the enemy to give over authority to him. Give over the, the authority of, of how you use your words to him. Give over the authority of how you use your time to him. Give over the authority of, of how you use your purpose for him. Do we trust God with our circumstances? Do we trust God with our future? Do we trust God with our money? What does obedience look like? You see, Jesus was in this place of deep intimacy and connection, and so he knew his Father's will, and he did his Father's will. Sometimes for us, uh, we, we kind of scratch our heads and we go, Lord, I, I want to trust you, I want to be faithful to you, but what does it even look like? I, I want to live a trustworthy life towards purpose, but how do I do that when I can't actually see what my purpose is meant to be, what I'm meant to be doing, how I'm meant to use my time, who I'm meant to be in a relationship with. And in, the, in those moments of where we, we can't see the end result, the enemy tempts us. You're hungry for this. You're hungry for a relationship. Oh, this one, it's just in front of you. Well, you know it's not a godly relationship. But this relationship's kind of giving you something of what, you're, what you need. And, and so no marriage ever fails because someone decides in their heart that they're going to break down a marriage. A marriage fails because little by little, the enemy speaks to the hungers of the heart. And as hungers grow and are fed, we give over authority. No, no one finds themselves in the depth of sin because they decide in their heart, oh, I'm going to jump into the deep end and just get involved in sex, drugs, everything. No, no it starts with a little bit. Yeah? You have a hunger and you don't trust in the Lord to meet that hunger. You look to something else. Maybe it is in the, in the community of God that you're, you've not quite got the relational connection and being part of the, the church, it's, it's difficult at times. It's been a difficult year in the last year because we haven't been so connected. And you go, oh, maybe church really isn't the thing for me. Maybe, maybe I, I, I should just go out and, and spend some time. And you go out for breakfast with your friends and you have a good coffee and you, you begin to change your rhythms and life feel, feels a lot better because you're enjoying good Melbourne coffee and, and good food and you go, ah, oh, well, I'll, I'll come to church occasionally. And so once every month becomes once every six months. And soon, soon enough, you're a Christmas and Easter Christian because as you've found your hunger fed, you've stopped actually returning to a place of faithfulness and trust in where God's calling you to have your hunger fed. And, and so we as a church... We're not just tempted individually to go after our own purpose. Uh, we're not just tempted to individually not trust God and seek to fulfill our own hunger, seek to take on authority for ourselves, seek to take shortcuts. We're, we're tempted, I, I think, as a, as a church to, when we don't yet see what we feel like God has for us, to try and take shortcuts towards that. Uh, what, you, what you see in a church space is there's so many different programs. Grow your church to 200 in five years. Uh, 
Run this program. It will change your church. Do this evangelism course. It's going to change your church. But for us, the process of growth starts with each of us. And it starts in this place of trust and faithfulness. Do I trust that when I read God's word each day, that he's going to feed me with what I need? Do I trust when I carve out time in the busyness of life to spend time in prayer that he's going to give me some of the food that will feed me, some of what I need? Do I trust that as I step out and do something new to serve the church or to help reach out as part of the church, that God will give me what I need and produce fruit? Do I trust just in these small steps of faithfulness that God will grow his church. Jesus says, I will grow my church. So I believe that's a faithful promise for us that where we're at now is where we're at. But as we trust him, he'll lead us to a place of fruitfulness and growth. But what does it look like? It's not just us running a program. It's not just us seeking to do certain things. It's us individually and collectively walking out this relationship of trust and faithfulness. Because I believe that when we walk out trust and faithfulness with him, he produces fruit through us. Even where we're not looking for it. Uh, I have a delivery uh, driver that's been, been delivering packages to me and I like to make friends with couriers because then they don't drop your packages <laughs> over the fence. The, the vicarage has a, a locked gate and so I, I ordered a, a new delicate thing for making coffee in and there is one courier company that you probably know of but I don't like and he, he dropped it over. <laughs> It didn't break. It was packaged well. But this other courier, he was really great. And it's the first time I connected with him. Uh, we had a little bit of a conversation and he was looking for a new job. So I said, can I pray for you? Because I trust that God answers prayer. And so I, I, I said a prayer, not when he was there. And he, he enjoyed the interaction. And over the last month and a half, we, we've interacted, not every week, but... He'll go out of his way to make sure that I'm home when he delivers a package because he wants to connect. And he's been going for some new jobs and so I've been praying for him with the jobs and he's given me updates and he said, I've got these two jobs and both of them want me. And it's really exciting to, to see him go, oh, you've got this connection with God and I'm coming to you because... You're connected with God and it seems that God's blessing my connection with you and my life as a result. So this last week, uh, he, he came around just after his job interview. He didn't have a package to deliver. And I, I said, I'm actually up at the office. And so he came in and I said, oh, have you been in a church before? He said, oh, no, I've never been in a church. And so he came in here and he had a look around. He's, he, he said, I, I like this place. He, he's like, I'm so thankful that, that you are connected to God and that you can bless me and that's helped me with my work. I said, well, you know, you can be connected with God also. The same access we believe as Christians that I have is available for you to learn to 
listen and trust and, and obey and live a relationship with God, it's available to you. And so he's hopefully going to come along one day on a Sunday uh, and he's taken some baby steps to go, ah, oh, I've grown up, I have some relatives that were Christian in the past, but I've never known anything in Christianity. This God that you seem to follow is a God that maybe I might want to follow. Now, for me, I, I, all I did was bought stuff, consumerism. <laughs> I don't think that was an act of trust. It was just an act of consumerism. But when offered the opportunity, I didn't give him a complex explanation of beginning to end, but I had a simple explanation that he could understand of a faith that I live. I could invite him into that space of me trusting God, not just for me, but for him. And hopefully we, we see some fruit of that. Like maybe that's just part of his journey. Maybe we're a step. Maybe he becomes a Christian through a different church. That's okay. Because I trust that as we fit as a church into the big picture of what God's doing, that he'll not only bless us, but he'll bless those around us. And so uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've actually doing, been doing a lot of reading of the history of our church. And so... I've looked through, our archive is really good. Uh, I've looked through a lot of the letters and the, the newsletters to, to gain a real picture of the church and the, the different ministries that have been here, uh, the heritage that, that we have. And as I've considered it, there's a lot of people that have placed a lot of trust in the Lord as a building's been established uh, on a shoestring budget and... I read just this last week that we weren't consecrated for over 30, 40 years since 1872. Like, so, so there was 30, 40 years where we weren't consecrated because we hadn't quite finished the building. <laughs> and the archbishop wouldn't consecrate a building that wasn't finished. <laughs> but they trusted God. They met as the people of God, as a people of faithfulness, and over time grew, planted other churches. We have uh, Greythorn and we have Surrey Hills and uh, what's the other one? St. Silas in North Bourne. And I, I believe that there was a, even a church, um, St. Martin's at the time, that was also collected, connected to St. Hilary's. And all of those plants of new people are acts of faithfulness and, and trust. People that have sowed beyond their borders. And as I've looked at numbers, for us to be at our maximum numbers, according to what's happened in the past, averaging like 112 at a service on a Sunday is, is about the, the maximum of what the church has ever kind of had in its congregation. That's okay. It's nice to, to know what it sort of looks like and how many people you can maybe pack in. And... <laughs> But what does it look like to be the church we are now and move to that place of being a little bit bigger but also investing into churches and ministry around? I'm not sure. But I trust God for us. Do you, do you trust God that he will lead us as we look to him to a place of faithfulness? Not, not through a program. Not through us just ticking a few boxes. Not through a new sign on the streets or a good advertising program or the best sermon on a Sunday. 
through each of us taking an individual responsibility to trust the Lord and walk out faithfulness in the place that he's called us with the gifts that he's given us. Now it looks different for all of us, but the joy is we get to encourage each other in it. As someone's got a good testimony of God's faithfulness, it encourages us all to then go, well, God's faithful for them in that way. Maybe he could be faithful to me in that way. And so that's why one of the reasons it's great to share testimony of what God's doing and how he's working so we can encourage each other. And the great testimony that we always look past uh, is the testimony of Jesus himself. The testimony of Jesus that he, as he had no food and water in the desert for 40 days, the, the Lord was his provision. And that same, same Jesus is our provider. The same Jesus is with us. The same Jesus is wanting to lead us. The same Jesus wants to teach us what it looks like to trust God and walk following him in faithfulness.